Once again, a big thank you to Wild Earth Australia for their continuous support and being a company that really believes in the adventurous lifestyle. Now, if you need any gear for your next adventure, running, hiking, camping, climbing, survival, you name it, they have it. So go to the website wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Free shipping Australia-wide, they even ship internationally. So you're about to meet Ben Holland, a name that was pretty big back in the late 90s and early 2000s as a professional bodyboarder. He was one of the biggest names at the time, making good money, traveling around the world, surfing perfect waves and partying like an absolute maniac. I love talking to guys like this who have followed their passions and who have lived such adventurous, wild lives. Ben was a pioneer, traveling around the world, being the first to surf and have adventures around some of the locations that are just so famous today. He experienced things that most of us could only dream about. Guys like this tell tales about the raw, wild old days, and I just love hearing these stories. The first half hour of this conversation is a lot of names from that era and talking about the world tour, which would definitely resonate with some of the old surf dogs and the bodyboarding community. But then Ben just really opens up and he's so good at telling stories. He's so passionate about it. And he really just takes you back to those moments that he had. What a crazy life this guy lived. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation just as much as I do. I'm, I'm just pressing record, but I've finally got you, Ben Holland. I finally got you, and we are—we're down Crumbinelli on the Gold Coast at the beach in the back of my four-wheel drive troop carrier because having a beer. But um, this is actually this is one of the most excited podcasts I've been to do, and that's because you've told me some of the most amazing yeah. stories about your life. But for people that don't know who Ben Holland is that's probably a great place to start because you were such a big name once upon a time once upon a time yeah like why would people remember the name Ben Holland well you know I mean uh, these days I find it funny that people still remember Um, and you know you, you do forget what you've done and where you've been and uh, all those years of, um, of travelling and having the life we did. But I think, I mean, early days as a Grom, you just didn't realise what you were becoming, I suppose, and, and just, you're just surfing. I was just surfing. I just loved going surfing. It's like I left school to be an electrician and even he looked at me and said, mate, you know, this is not you. you you're, you've got to get out there. That's you. You can see that you only want that. So and you always had that in you. You always had. That I knew it. Yeah, I had it. I had to really push, I suppose, certain people like my oldies to convince them that that's what I wanted to do. Because but they they were like my dad was a businessman. He didn't see any future in riding waves or surfing, especially bodyboarding. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, one thing led to another, and as a as a grom, and after winning uh, the nationals, I suppose at I think I was sixteen. Um, that was where it really took off and again you you you, you weren't realizing what you were creating you were just surfing and I, I loved it that much that I, I knew um I had something so at the time so you're a 16 year old bodyboarder and you're you you're doing contests and you finally win this then you you win the nationals and that's when you say it kind of really took off you what was bodyboarding at the time back then oh look it was 
it was big, you know. I think it was, in, in my eyes, it was bigger than it was um, at certain stages. Of course, it went up and down, like, when, when I got in, but it seemed like there was bodywaters everywhere. There was whole BZ craze for me when that was, like, when the, the Diamond Stinger come out, you know, when we were Groms, we were looking at these these boards that we thought, what's this Diamond Stinger? We don't know what was, what was coming, but it was... What's it, a Diamond Stinger? It was the one of the original BZ boards that um, had uh, slick rails and, and um, you know, of course, the slick bottoms was coming out, but it was just, as a Grom, it was just, I was frothing, but for me, mum and dad had um, this sports store and I used to walk in and they had all the bodyboards lined up at the front yeah. and uh, I used to just, you know, just sit there and stare at these posters on the bodyboards and they were like, you know, shit little bendy bobbers, but it, I think it had. I can't remember some of the names. You know, it were big names. Where, you know, you, you got Mike and Ben and Ben Severson, Mike Stewart and um, Jack the Ripper, and there was certain boards that they just used guys yeah. that you didn't even know until later on that who they were who in those photos. But yeah, he's just a froth at uh, at what it was. But at, at the sports side, it was just local contests for us. It was just you know we were, the local contests were getting bigger and bigger, and my my mentor, I suppose, Ian Stewart, who um, become, he was one of my best mates, still is, and he, um, at that time, was, yeah, wanted to be a competitive bodyboarder too, but... Was, was, this, there, was there money in it back then? No, there was no money, it was, but money didn't, you were a grom, you didn't really care about the money, it was more how good you could be and how, how you know, just surfing, but money, prize money, we didn't even think about it really it was just the trophy at the end and and going to the next contest and i suppose later on it was great to win money um in the local contest but yeah when when for me the transition of winning the nationals as a grom and then getting sponsored um to a point where the sponsors were starting to give you product and pay for trips um it wasn't like a wage or or you know you're getting paid to to do the sport at that time it was more just the thrill of having a sponsor i suppose and um yeah i mean then then i suppose one of the best one of the first highlights for me out of bodyboarding was um was going to brazil i remember going and it was unfortunately for an unfortunate event when uh sean you know the um alex de pontes uh memorial in uh, Brazil um, was one of my first major trips as a grom. I know mum and dad didn't want to send me over because it was, yeah, Brazil was just like crazy. What are you going to Brazil for? But And how old were you? I was 16. You were 16. And so what was, who was paying you to go over? Uh, that was, so Redley uh, was one of my first sponsors in, um, and that was, you know, super cool because I thought Redley were, you know, one of the best fins on the market, just generally, um, stoked to be with them but when they rang and asked me and Nick Gibbs to um to go over for the memorial like we were just I was pumped I, I remember having to beg and plead to to let uh let ask me mum and dad let me go across um and yeah you know was this your first overseas trip too no nah, I did uh before that was um where was for I suppose bodyboarding it was but I remember going to Hawaii as, with my school. It was four of us went across, and um, here, here comes a plane coming over the Gold Coast. Yeah, we've got a beautiful um, little afternoon down here. Oh man, it's, that many it's waves, actually but, stunning. 
Danny Afternoon at the Crumb and Alley. So this is your first trip. Oh, let that plane go. This is pretty much your first trip, but being 16, first trip as a bodyboarder. Yeah, that was... You're getting taken by sponsors to Brazil. So this is pretty much the start of everything for you. you. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, I I had other thrills to wanting to go to Brazil. I was chasing uh, one lady that was my ex um, at the time, and I just was stoked to be invited to go there and and didn't realise how crazy the place was. Yeah. because at the time, you know, you've got Galami Tamiga, who was who was the guy that coming up, um, and yeah, just to be invited by Redley was a was a big deal, um, and to go over, and that was that was the the start, I suppose, of world travel on the bodyboard scene, and, and being being asked by sponsors to to go go somewhere you know, internationally, and then yeah, like I said, the first trip over was I suppose uh, with my school with four mates um, to Hawaii where. I remember going into the turbo factory in Hawaii and uh, getting a custom-built Mike Stewart um, back then. So you know he, he was he was an idol of yeah. mine back then, and um, and someone that you ended up competing I, against yeah, several and, times and, and becoming a good mate too. And and yeah, but never knew that was coming at that time. But yeah, got that was way too big. I remember that board was way too big. But we brought it back. Thought it was the best thing in the world. But um, yeah, so then after that. We just one thing led to another, you know. I'd, the uh, events started stacking up. I started doing really well in the events, and and Rare Pipo, um, who was the same company who was bringing BZ into us into into. Um, I was I was with BZ at that time too, actually, if I, if I remember rightly. I can't, but yeah, same company in Australia, BZ and Rio. And then uh, at that, after that. Um, yeah, like the the board model started coming in, and they wanted to do the board model, and yeah, you started seeing royalties off your products. And so, so when you say like, so this company Rio Pipo, they've offered you, so you've got a sponsorship with them, and they've offered you a signature model board. Yeah. So, mean? so basically, when so we'll go take it back before that. I was when I you know as a grom looking up to the idols. I remember um, one particular surf. I was surfing at Banzai down at Foresters, um, where I lived for in front of for a long time. And um, one of the boys said, "Oh, this guy Michael Eppleston's coming down. He's he's supposed to be this new, you know, he's just he's a ripper from Port Macquarie." And uh, I knew Michael was at the time sponsored by BZ and one of the, the head guy. And Michael, well, we know is Epo. Epo come down, and I got to meet Epo through our. And he's a, he's a funny fella, isn't he? He's a very funny fella. We'll go on to Michael a bit later on. We'll go on to Epo a bit later on. But, um, yeah, so I got to meet Epo. And then through that, that was through the main spot, my main sponsor and his main sponsor. So the connection there was, was, was giant in my career because Epo became the world champion. I was with Epo at the same time. And as a Grom, to be beside someone like that growing up and have, um, you know, mentor helping you out I suppose and sending in the direction and watching them what they got and you know they helped me get what I needed to get when I when I started to move up the ladder um yeah and I mean that was that was the beginning I suppose I remember staying in Hawaii with Epo um the first years and Dave Appleby too I suppose I have to have a mention in there too Appleby was one of the first uh guys to get a, a model in Australia um, probably like a you know signature model out of um, any boards, and so that you're going back to the early days of um, 
Ross Hawke, Dave Appleby, um, Brett Young, and you know the old Young. I don't know if you know Young. He died in Japan, but you know, like the old names who first, so I suppose, carved the sport. Um, Steve McKenzie was one of the, my best, one of my idols in, in Australia. Like yeah. they all had their models in front of um, before us. So, so all these professionals before you all had signature models. So they were the first, yeah, I suppose, um, guys that have signature models that we could see the sport moving. And you could see them making money off off the sport. And uh, at the time, the sport was starting to boom, you know, because, like, we were travelling to Japan a lot and you could see the money coming in. And and I think, you know, um, to try to move forward from where I was at that time, I, when they asked... Uh, I can't remember how it all went, but I know Wingnut, um, he was in my era, so Wingy was... He had a really strong profile um, from the Cronulla boys down that way. And, and the Cronulla boys, you know, they they were a force to be reckoned with, I suppose. They, they were chargers. They knew they always charged in Hawaii. They charged in Australia, but they, they had a great, uh, strong reputation for bodyboards alone in the water and, and, and on inshore too. But um, when you come through with the first release of these smaller boards for the Groms, um, at four or three or four, maybe five different sizes, I can't remember, but he sold a shitload. And I was right behind him, just basically there. I, I think he, yeah, he definitely beat me to the market, but I could see that there was a huge market there for the Groms that we needed to, to oh, you know. what a smart idea. So all these professionals all have signature model bodyboards, and then you guys have decided to bring ones out, not just for other guys, but also for the kids, yeah, the ones the, that are idolising you yeah, guys. Well, that's and it was that little that little niche there that where we we created a well, Wingy first. We created a few smaller boards, and that they took off. And, so your um, sponsor was the Rio Piper at the time, Rio Piper. So yeah, I got I had to leave BZ um, to which was the same company in Australia, um, but that was the choice I had to make to get my own board. Um, because BZ was an American company, they, you'd have to basically go through through them at the time if you wanted to uh, your own model. Um, but yeah, when Rio Piper was just kicking off and starting to to move, um, I was in position right there after Epo. Epo got his model. Dave Appleby had his before Epo, and then I was next in line. And so they came up with the the Rio Piper Ben Holland. Ben Holland Rio Piper, which we I suppose known to a lot of people out there. At that time we um, they chose to put these big logos on the boards um at the start we we fucking hated it because they company wanted these massive huge rio pipo logo on the bottom which you know to us looking board looks shit to just this huge but they turned it around and said all right well how about you uh come up with a graphic that you might like on the board and so i went down to uh, sydney and seen this artist and uh, we worked together and we come up with the wizard and that wizard i suppose uh, we, I didn't realise how good that was going to be because it was an identity that stuck with me um, and my boards. And then I suppose over time. Um, so how old were you when this? When your signature that was bodyboard six, model? Sixteen. You were sixteen. Sixteen, seventeen. When um, you got your own signature model? It was yeah, it was sixteen, maybe seventeen, because sixteen was. Um, so you're really starting to make a career for yourself at this time. At, at this time, are your parents starting to kind of see what's happening and this momentum gathering? Like you get you get taken to Brazil, you get your own signature model board, and are you getting paid by this stage, or like does the board are they offering you royalties with the board? Are you getting other spa- paid paid po- sponsorship? Yeah, so the the royalties were 
where we made, I suppose, most of the money. Um, at that time, bodywaters weren't getting paid much wage. Um, and it just turned out that way that we knew if we were contracted to have three or four boards and you're getting your 10% on each sale, then you had enough countries buying the boards, you're going to make more money than... than uh, at that time, if I might remember rightly, they would offer you a wage and no royalties or a smaller wage or certain other benefits and royalties. Yeah. And you were way better to take the the royalties because wages, they weren't offering much. Yeah. As long as you were, you know, could trust the company to, to uh, I suppose, do the numbers right and you get your right numbers, you were right. But I do remember my first couple of checks, they were, they were nice. And so you're, let's say you're 17 by this stage and you're getting some money coming through. Yeah. You're actually starting to make some good money as a professional bodyboarder. Yeah, well, I mean, good money, I suppose, at that time was it, it was insane. But um, again, I didn't. The money wasn't wasn't for me. It wasn't uh, at that time. I didn't care too much. I know over the years, even when I started travelling, because everything was paid for, which was another brilliant thing. You know, you go on. Rio Pipe were definitely a, a great sponsor for looking after me on on the costs of going around the world or going on tour or or being. Um, sent to uh, countries for them to, to do promos and so forth but the money side I my dad controlled most of it in the sense that it was never needed so I got to invest that money quickly because I didn't need to use it on tour I didn't need to use it to, to live around the tour because everything was paid for Wait, so what age did you start the world tour I was trying to get into pipe uh, at 17 but I couldn't because you've got to be 18 so pipe I was 18 my first event um, where I got um Seventh, I think it was at my first pipe event, and that was a story in itself. So that's pipeline in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. So I was um, Chris Wan was a good mate of mine, and uh, he was a man who looked after me in Hawaii. Chris and I connected because he was the same same sponsor, but he's one of the wildest bastards I've ever met. At the time, he's absolutely legend bloke, funny as fuck, and uh, he knew we all, you know. Got up to no good every now and then, and uh, he knew who he had to hook us up with, I suppose, to stay with in Hawaii, and just happened to be um, some of the biggest heavyweights, surfers, uh, Hawaiians, if you could say, um, you know, your Marvin Fosters and your your, uh, your Jody Boy Games and all that, all that crew were, were guys we, we knew straight away as grommets because we stayed at some of their houses, and one particular, Freddie, who um, we used to stay at Sunset, I was a grom man, you know, and I was driving around this freaking old Corvette, and uh, I'll never forget it because we that first event we were we were waiting for, oh I don't know two weeks. It was waves were shit for ages, and I suppose we got sick of waiting, and we had this huge night on the piss, and uh, I remember getting woken up in the morning. I'd already spewed all over the front seat, and in in I woke up, got woken up in the uh, front seat with the bloody roosters next to me going off and of this corvette yeah of this corvette and they're like mate benny connor's is on i'm like you're fucking shitting me what do you mean it's on he's like get you on yeah it's on the connor's is on it's on moment to shine moment to shine and i was i was i wasn't feeling you're not in a good state i was pumped mate i was that pumped for that connor's i was didn't wouldn't matter and uh it was funny because i went down with all this 
mate, heavyweight crew surfers. Like, you know, these guys were some, some crazy fuckers in Hawaii and they were all on my side and all supporting me. And I remember... Did, um, that, did that push you? Like, being yeah, out to I mean, have the backing of these... It these... was just cool to have the Hawaiian, those guys there help me, you know, I suppose, you know, you know barracking for me. And I, I remember... Um, sitting at the table with a few of the boys and Holy Reeves come up to me and said, man, you know, how do you know these boys? I said, oh, so I stay with. <laughs> They're like, fuck, no way. Was it just lucky because you had the same sponsor as one of them that you got on the in with that crew? Yeah, well, uh, Chris was just knew he'd be, that would be the right um, house crew to, for us to stay at and uh, love, the guys love smoking some bongs and whatnot and and it, it just it, one thing led to another we met a great crew and, and we stayed at Freddie's house for f- six years it was just a really good bunch low key you know but heavy wines that uh, looked after Benny and looked after a few of us and mate they, they were stoked to support us when uh, you know I was doing well at Pipe but uh, that was one of my most memorable um, I suppose first events big events and, What's uh, that atmosphere like when you're paddling out? You got all these people on the beach, all these people cheering you on. How, the waves was it, was it big? Yeah, that that day. Um, remember, it wasn't wasn't huge. That that pipes. I can't remember. Um, but it wasn't small. It wasn't. But it wasn't that good. I know. Um, like I said, I was just wrapped to be there, and and to get seventh. I remember. That's right. If I can remember, because going back then, that was when. Moray Boogie still ran the the, uh, the contest. Well, they ran the condition, ran the contest, but you had to use a Moray Boogie. Did you? Yeah, you couldn't use your own board, so it was like, you know, you, I I didn't know where I was going to get a Moray Boogie, and I remember Ross Hawke gave me a Seven X, I think it is, and it was a it was a fucking awesome board. I remember, never forget it. It was it was actually uh, a shape that I used um, to create my shape and perfect my shape later on but yeah that um, board that Ross gave me you know it was it was it was perfect it was I mean I didn't didn't mind at all I didn't know how I was going to go to just jump on a board that you didn't know because that's literally what it was you rock up it's not like I went out months of training on a on a on a moray being a kid especially from the central coast and then suddenly being in Hawaii where it's so big and so powerful and you're at a place like pipe and you're extremely hungover <laughs> like where you, where, you, where did this where did the big way where did the where did that where did those balls come from dude like where did you get that where did you get that transition to transition into those waves in pipe did you always have it in you did you always were you always just hungry for bigger and and going deeper and harder and like, because I know bodyboarders are known for being chargers, but it's like, you know, you're growing up in the Central Coast and there is some heavy waves there and there's some slabs, but then going to a place like Pipeline, like, that's just, like, the next level, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I think it's um, just all the years of, of seeing it in the magazines and, you know, it's mesmerising all the photos you've ever ever seen as a growing class of, of pipe and all the... the you know, you just kind of remember those photos and go, I just want one of those. And and when you get to the point where Connes was, um, I suppose you, you you know you've got it to yourself, and you, and you're just praying that, that it's pumping in your heat and pumping pumping uh, on the day of the Connes. Um, now, I 
I'm trying to think back at that day. I know it was a bit choppy, but the I was just just super pumped as a grom just to be in the contest. Yeah. I was like, it was like the biggest event I'd ever been in. To be there and next to my my idols that I always looked up to was 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 something else. But um, and to, and to get seventh is that something that really put yeah, your name no, on the well, map? No, not that not at that time, but it was definitely they hadn't heard of, of me at the time. And and yeah, to come through with that score straight away. Um, on the first event was was huge for me, and I know that it, it um, I suppose helps uh, recognise me straight away with a few people in around the the arena at the time. But were you, were you training at all, or were you just like literally just surfing, mate? Just just to be there surfing with uh, Epo and surfing with the the boys that you like. I said, being in the water with some of the biggest names, and and. Uh, I mean, we were committed to, we were committed bastards. We would, we, even back home and in Hawaii, you'd be sitting on the beach an hour before light. You, you wouldn't know how big it is out there. You, you could see the whitewash. And that's the one thing about bodyboarding to bodyboarders, I suppose. We were frothers. We, we, we didn't care about the waiting for the time where the f- photographers would come down the, the beach because, you know, it's, in Hawaii is a bit of a... I, you know, one Hawaii. I love going showground. there. It's, it's a, a showground, but I, it's one thing I, I don't like crowds. I never loved Hawaii's crowds, or never loved the whole bullshit that came with having to go at a certain time because the clouds d- disappeared and the waves are pumping. I was rather be there in the dark, get your session in in the morning, and leave. And that, mate, most people we wouldn't have seen you all day because I'm not coming back to pipe when it's 300 people out. Yeah. But when you go, you know that certain days you'd go. And you'd know you hang around, and there, there, you might have that one wave that would be your one shot all all winter, winter, because that's all it takes—one or two waves—and you, if you happen to get it and you got the shot, that's someone taking you, a photo of you getting yeah, that shot. Getting and the that shot, put, you, that. you're good to go. But some people were way more hungry than me to get that shot. I know that. I yeah. I wasn't committed. I would be down at Rockies. I'd rather surf down at Rocky Point Lefts, um, and I knew Pipe was pumping, but. I just fucking hated the crowd. Yeah. And um, I suppose I, I chose to do that because I was just surfing. I wasn't chasing photos and chasing. I knew I should have been. The sponsors were, you know, would, that's why you're going to Hawaii. It's basically for your sponsors and, and, uh, and get the shot and get, you know, as much publication you can in, in the magazines. Um, but when you're spending three months at, of the time in Hawaii, you, you know you've got a lot of time to get... I suppose the shot and there's a lot of different uh, um, spots you, you're going to do it and you follow photographers certain days and uh, here comes another plane here comes another plane but it's something that I didn't chase I suppose hard enough yeah. like others um, were those takedowns there were they when you first went there like and, you, and you're surfing that power and everything was that yeah yeah I mean I remember Pipe was I, if anyone's asked me what was your worst work, wipeout or working um, is the airplane it was, going over Definitely um, one of them that I stayed in the memory was at Pipe, and it wasn't like I... This thing pressed me on the bottom, and I've never, still to this day, been pressed so hard. So how big was it? It wasn't um, huge. It was just the way i come down. I've I've ended up coming onto the bottom. I can't remember if it was even a duck dive or or the actual wave that I got wiped down on, but um, this thing pressed me like it was... Some sandwich press just it just kept me on the bottom and it just squeezed the life out of me. I'll never forget it. 
Never thought a wave or water could actually do what it did that day. So it to pinned me. you to the bottom to that reef. To pinned that me to the bottom. It was just flat and it just pressed so hard and then just ripped me up. But then I was lucky. Pipe, um, backdoor is, you know, backdoor is, another, is a scary one. That's you, you, Just with all the, the caves and all the, the different colour, you could see it a lot shallower than... Yeah, it's a lot um, shallower. I mean, generally, Hawaii's that whole little section, mate, you've you got to, yeah, you, you definitely are respected. It's uh, it's fucking powerful, and it's 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 a gnarly bottom. You you yeah. go scrape it along the bottom, you're going to hit something hard, and you're going to hit a little. What do you call them? Stalic nights or something? They they stick up. They're not like Aussie reefs. We've got nice kanji yeah. bottoms, and and uh, they're pretty flat. And Hawaiian reefs heavy and scary, and when you go snorkeling there, it's probably the worst thing you can do, because you, you're checking out all the lumps and all the bumps. Yeah, and all the you're actually seeing what you're seeing, what you're, you're, seeing what you're surfing over, and that's that's sort of freakish. So when when you got seventh in this contest, did that we did that put you on tour? Okay, so how did you crack the world tour? So that, at that time, that was um, still like the one tour event that you become world champ. You win that, you're world champ. Yeah, you didn't need. To, it wasn't a tour, so that was the one event. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't. We so we structured the world tour um, later on, and I was a big part of that too with um, Epo and Steve McKenzie and uh, a few of the others. Where I, I, did, I ended up being Australian rep for you know the the two week and sitting down with all the like I said back you know these guys that I used to idol like Ben Stevenson and Mike Stewart and and a few of the others um, where. The create we were the creators of the of the first tour, like you know, the, well, I think it was called the GOB, Global Organization of Bodyboarding, back then, and um, it was a lot of things we had to pan out, and and I suppose the biggest hurdle was was uh, which hate a lot of people hated the tour at the time, when the first ones was the battle between where sponsors wanted the event and where we wanted the event, and unfortunately money talked back then, and if we wanted the sponsors and the money, we needed to have the events at these certain waves that were going to draw bigger crowds and those waves were usually like manly or fucking beaches that had shit waves and so the sport it, it was a challenge to work it's not like there was heaps of money getting poured in and and uh like the surfing arena was we we actually uh piggybacked the surfing arena for a little while there where that we'd come in after certain events um like france and japan where we'd use their scaffolding use their their stuff um, yeah I remember when I was in in Porto actually they do the body the, it was the ABA tour they do the Porto Escondido the Zigatella the Max Pipe event they do it straight after the after. QSR event so they can use the same scaffolding yeah, yeah we well, we used to do that in Japan a lot but they shut that down but you know we, as the tour progressed and at one stage I mean we were going everywhere there was like 12 events um, and certain we were all seeing new places new countries we'd never been to as I said, there was probably half or more than half of the tour were at, were at shit waves, and and the tour actually got a bad name um, for grovel, like grovel fest, you know, spin to win, and everyone the the, the big names of the sport were, who were um, in the magazines a lot because they were literally touring the world, but they were they were touring the world for waves and getting photos, and that was what was going in the the magazines and so their profiles were huge but they weren't on tour yeah and uh, i was a bit different i suppose in the sense that i did well on the tour i my ranking went up and i wanted to hold the ranking so i stayed on tour and i did miss out on the opportunities of going on a lot of um free surf you know uh trips where you'd, you'd get you need your photos that would 
get into the publications, get into the magazines. So you, you and at this time, like, if you got into the magazines, were you getting paid for it? Like, would the magazines or your sponsors give you money? Um, yeah. So back then, it was just you used to get like photos. Even my first photos, um, you'd have like a deal with your sponsors where if you had a double page spread, you'd get X amount, and if you had a little quarter page, you get X, and then up to a poster, you get your biggest amount. And well, um, your your cover was always the the highest paid. Amount it was nothing big money. Was like so were you were you making good money, but like were you making at the time like so at the peak, if you could say on my peak of getting paid on tour, oh, not on tour, but just generally, um, I you'd sort you'd put, say it anywhere between one hundred and fifty and one hundred and eighty thousand a year. Uh, you might be pulling from the sponsors. And that yeah. was at the peak. I mean, if you look, if you have three or four, most sponsors were. I that's kind of that's pretty big. Yeah, that's it was big, big, especially. It was way bigger than most. I don't was, even know if is bodyboarding that big now. No, I don't even know if they're getting paid that much or not. I don't know. I'm not in the sport anymore, but I know I was one of the fortunate ones to receive pretty good money plus the royalties. Um, yeah. So I did pretty good at it. It was only a space of five years where you could say it was a peak. Yeah. Um, and. You know, you got to like I had Bad Boy, were one of my best sponsors. They were he was growing at the time. We watched. I was sort of like Bad Boy Sunnies. Well, Bad Boy Clothing. It yeah, Bad Boy yeah, Clothing. Bad and then had the Bad Boy. Sunnies. Well, you remember um, Life's the Beach? Remember yeah. that old fucking uh, guy with the spiky hair, the yeah. stickers. That was the first transition of Bad Boy, I suppose, in Australia. And then Bad Boy came in, and um, he. We, I was with him from the beginning to to when he started, and we. We just rode it, mate. He was killing it, and it was the best sponsor ever. Was, yeah. The checks were just coming in when he, you know, it was no big contracts and no big. That's one thing I was with my other major sponsor. I was, had a pretty solid contract with lots of boundaries, a lot of things I couldn't couldn't do. And and uh, when Bad Boy come along, it was great. It was just like you know, have you been paid yet? Yeah, <laughs> kind, right. Kind of thing. But yeah, if you had your three main sponsors, so I had O'Neill, Bad Boy. And, um, well, well, I have to go back. So it was Rio Pipo, um, and then down the line and, um, Redley and a couple of other small Japanese sponsors at the time. Um, O'Neill was my biggest at the start. Did you realise yourself how big your career was getting? No, well, it was when, when I suppose when you hook up with a big one like O'Neill, you knew you'd sort of made it in a way, but... yeah. Unfortunately, How did that feel? Yeah, that was that was cool. I mean, they were they were a good and bad sponsor. They they didn't respect bodyboarding at all. They didn't like bodyboarding. Yeah, right. Um, the Australian guy behind O'Neill was was awesome. Uh, it was the world side of O'Neill that, that really didn't help the pool the, yeah. to, to fund, I suppose, you and the, and the other bodyboarders around the world. And um, I remember Mike Stewart because that was for me when Mike Mike was early days. Mike Stewart, he was main sponsor was O'Neill and. Uh, I came in just after Mike had a huge uh, fallout with O'Neill, and um, it was that time that where you got your big players, your Billabongs, your Ripcords, your Quicksaws, and and they were surfing was just booming. Yeah, you know, and really as it boomed, they didn't need to sponsor bodyboards. It was just a small chunk of a division that they would keep there just to keep it. I suppose the keep it afloat. Well, keep keep the keep the numbers. They knew the numbers were there. Yeah. But they didn't need to promote it. Surfing. They wanted to promote surfing, but 
there was a lot of numbers of bodyboarders that would still help the uh, the, the sales and the brands, but they weren't helping the sport. They yeah. never put any money into it. They they definitely spent a lot of money on their riders to keep the um, how could you say like convince the the all the grommets that you know they were the biggest brands in the sport, but really they didn't put any money in the sport. Yeah. They just sponsored the people they needed to sponsor, and um, you know. And I'm free to happy to say this. They don't. I, I just think it was it was like a new sport. It's a bit like go back to um, when snowboarding started. Yeah. On when you've got that transition between skiing companies and snowboarding, and snowboarders took hold of this new sport and they created the new the brands that were needed, and they became the biggest brands in the sport, which alone just made it. You know, we know what happened to snowboarding. It just yeah, it just it took, took off. off, and then next minute, so they had their own sport. But bodyboarding was at that time was stuck in this this rut of like having to deal with the biggest surf companies in the world, but they were convincing the market that they were the, the they were the big bodyboarding yeah. so-called companies because they sponsored so and so and so and so. At the but, time, were you were you did this worry you? Yeah, no, it pissed, me, it pissed me off because I, I seen what they were doing and they weren't putting back into the sport, um, but. Uh, I suppose eventually there were certain brands that come out of the sport that um, did okay, but nothing huge. And it was one thing that really pissed me off in the sport too, because we had our own sport, we had our own identity, but we were still a lot of people. And unfortunately, like when there's not much money in in a sport, and you've got, um, you know, and you're getting good, like you're a new grom, you come in, you come in, you're forced to be reckoned with, you know, you, you can see yourself going up, and then there's Billabong there going, I oh, will sponsor you. Yeah, of course you're going to go across. I mean, it's the biggest company in the world, and and you'd love yeah. to be. I was the same. I was. I would have been stoked to be sponsored by Billabong or, or um, a few because they were giants at the time. But as it went on, I slowly realised that, it you know, and a lot of people did. They were spending a, they what the money they needed to spend to convince the the public and the market of the young body was that they were the main. Um, I suppose names in the sport, but yep. they they weren't really helping. They never sponsored the world tour, or they never, you know, it was it was something that you know annoyed me. I suppose over the time. And were you doing well on the world tour at the time? Yeah, I was. I mean, world, like, the world tour. Um, like I said before, so I stayed on tour to because I, I started doing well. I started getting my ranking up, and I wanted to keep my ranking. I didn't want to lose my ranking by just you know. There was an. I remember. I remember when my sponsor. Because one thing that happened to me, I suppose, in my career was the fact that I was overseas on the world tour for six or seven months of the year and I was never in the magazines at home. Yeah, right. They didn't support the, the tour because they, like I said, it was all about the best photos. And yeah. you're not going to get the best photos being on world tour because you're because surf, surfing, you're surfing shit waves and grovel. And I never, well, my sponsors, one of my sponsors turned around and said, Ben, you know, we're not benefiting you being on the tour only by the fact that you're number two in the world. That's the only thing we can see why you want to stay and, and, and you know hold your, your uh, ranking but you're not getting enough publicity back here in Australia through I suppose the biggest body, bodyboard magazine in the in the world which was Riptide at the time and that, I knew why it was, I just didn't have the, the enough photos that going around like on the surf trips that were getting um, done by a lot of because all your time comers. was taken yeah, up yeah the time was taken and, and yeah your profile changes from um, sorry pardon me Stringing a beer, yeah, boy. Um, yeah, so it was it was something that went against, I suppose, you as someone who wanted to do that, and then or 
the other seeing other profiles that were some of the biggest in the sport that did it off just surfing big waves and and, and six sessions and got all the the publicity I suppose because you got to remember back then the internet wasn't around and we didn't have you know your your social media your vehicles it was just yeah, magazines. you couldn't self market yourself you, had to you couldn't self to market self market you. yourself at all it was um, it was basically relying on one magazine two magazines to hopefully put your profile up as much as you can and and um that you would go back and you wonder why you did these, these like tour events because you i, I remembered many events i won in around the world were you I, just trying to get a world title yes Is that the whole reason that was i was well, i was number two for three years in a row and uh, number so if you're number two for three years in a row tell me how that felt like trying to chase number one when you're getting so close yeah well there's stories i mean I, yeah, number two, the old number two. No one, no one remembers number two. But um, I don't know. I just said either bad luck. That's the thing with surfing. You're playing with you, Mother you, Nature. You're playing with like a lot of it's luck on the day. Um, I, I suppose the first two, I didn't care. I, I mean, I was going. I, who I lost to was a guy that I really looked up to, and 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 always said, you know, I don't mind lose, losing to Galami. Uh, Glammy Temer from Brazil who was oh, I don't know six, seven time world champ I can't remember now but yeah to me he was I didn't mind losing and coming second to him he was he, he was one of the best and um, and you know with my ex relationship when I lived in Brazil a lot I got to know a lot of Brazilians I really respected the Brazilians how they were and, and, and how they just they, they, they charged they loved it um, but it was a young the, the third one, when I got second for the third time, was the one that hurt. I, I think I remember telling you this story. Yeah. And, um, they, it was a young um, guy that I'd watched and beside me in, in Brazil, and I knew he was going to be good. Um, Paulo, he was, yeah, it was this Grom that we watched come up through the ranks not even on through the ranks just 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 in front of us and coming to hawaii and we seen him surfing really good and i was good mates with him and um fuck i i never that year pipe was um i was sitting at sunset and it looked like it was going to be just too big and too crazy for the next day and we were right the next day it got canned and they said that we're going to take the event to um the west side so you've gone from being getting pumped to have huge pipe I was the closest I've ever been to the title, um, and that was to Galami, like in point, the points race. And um, basically, when we went to the west side and seen how small it was that day, things changed straight away. It was anyone's game. So uh, they've taken the Connors from big, big well, pipeline so we, they were, to the, we were right at the end of the wedding. You're on the North Shore, and they've taken it to the west side, so it's going to be a sm- It's going to be. Sm- way smaller so it's just a whole different game one's like charging big barrels yeah so i mean like, like i said we're right at the end of the waiting period and uh we basically had i think it was the one one or two days left uh it could have been even on the last day um and they had no choice they had to take it to somewhere where we could surf and we got to this wave and it was it was clean it was but it was fucking shit it was two feet and just grovel yeah. and um I, I can't remember exactly how how it went, but I knew I had to. So at the stage, I remember Glammy had to surf first, and he got knocked out. 
in the I think it was the quarters or I know when sitting in the car I when I heard he got knocked out I was I was like pumped I'm like okay this is it I've just got to get through this heat and I've done I've got it you've got the world title and if I got through I would have got the world title if I lost there was only one other person that could have taken the title and this was this Grom from Brazil Polo he had to win the event and I watched him win that event after getting knocked out and that was that was the hardest day of I suppose my career of, of having the title uh, but I, you know I, I couldn't so believe I got title. knocked out because I only had to pass that next uh, quarter or semi I can't remember what it was but to secure it and um, I got knocked and made it. I'd still technically got it but I hadn't got it because for half an hour there and out in between those heats, you were I was sitting, world number one. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the, we knew it, there was only one person that could change that, and that was um, Paulo from uh, from Brazil. That um, ended up have, he had he had to win the event to get enough points to beat both of us, and he won the event. And yeah, I, yeah, that was to me that was the hardest day. That was it for me. I, I'd done. I, I knew who and what was coming up behind I knew it was going to be so much harder the next year I'd already been so close and yeah I remember I just got out of the car and walked fucking uh, I was I was pretty sad at the time but I was walking up the road I totally didn't even wasn't feeling but I was I had no shoes on but I was walking and walking and walking I must have been walking for a while because when I stopped my feet were bleeding and I was I was fucking hurting. I was like, you know, what the fuck it just happened? But yeah, I looked down and I've got this blood coming out of my feet. And I'm like, you know, I didn't even know what I was. I was walking on these sharp rocks all the way up up the beach. And yeah, I was devoted, mate. I was I was totally devoted. Um, that so was, he's one and you've just, yeah. the emotions just I mean, and Brazilians, the Brazilians rubbed it in. To, they, they, they know how to celebrate. They're good at celebrating. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with my ex was... Brazilian, of course, and they, I knew them all, and they were they were hurting for me too. They knew it was that close, um, but I just knew that at that time I don't. I kind of thought, okay, I don't think I'm going to get another chance, uh, at, like be that close, and everything sort of just yeah went away. In the the, the spirit went away, I suppose, right there. Um, like the, I, the fight that you had in you for a while, you know, title. for three years, with getting second and the and the fight of of doing what you had to do, knowing, um, and again going back to what I was saying, I wasn't getting heaps of like not respect, but uh, I can just say, just so you weren't it, getting that publicity. I wasn't getting the publicity. But it was people didn't give a shit really if you're going to win an events in the world tour or or getting you know, world champion. You're world champion. You can claim it. Yeah, it's he can claim that. You can claim you number one. You number one. It's like any any sport. You know, you yeah. can claim that you've been world champion one. I couldn't do that because it was a second, 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 third, fifth, seventh, tenth sort of thing. So it's it was a yeah, it's a hard one. But yeah, you know, so and then after I just the, moved on. After. Was that was that the start of the the free surfing career? Yeah, I suppose. Well, after that, um, yeah, what year was? Certain other things happened in my life um, that really um, it changed. The tour was good. I mean, we were, we were doing some great events. Um, 
and I'll never, you know, like some of the early events when we used to go to Reunion Island as a team, that was the one thing about the tour back then. Everyone did it for love. There was like 24 of us just running a muck on the world tour. Yeah. Know, it was, and we were partying and... Yeah, what was that like? Because bodyboarders, I know them as being just party animals that are just having a good time. Speaking of which, can you get me another beer out? But you got to... They kind of open up together. Oh, really? I was just... I hit the switches here before. No, that doesn't matter. No, but um, bodyboarders, to me, are guys that I know of for just having a really good time. And so, like, to be a young bodyboarder travelling around the world, like, you guys are just maniacs. Was that just wild? Yeah, we had some good times, I'll tell you. Who would you say was the wildest boy on tour, <laughs> or the wildest boy in bodyboarding when you were in your in your prime? Oh, was yeah. it you? <laughs> you'd have to say Nugget. And Nugget was a special... If you know Nugget, he's a special character. You only have to find one person that knows Nugget and he'll tell you a story about Nugget. But he was he was the wild bastard, but he... It was one thing about Aussies... I loved about Aussies on tour, and... Um, when we all got knocked out or when you got knocked out at an event you know we're always at the bar or at the beach bar barricading for the who's remaining wouldn't matter if it was Australian or a Brazilian or American, it wouldn't matter the Aussies were up there barricading first you'd barrack for all the Aussies that were left yeah and they they, they just didn't take it to heart you know we, we just that was our nature we'd uh, well fuck next one and get on the piss and, uh, and support whoever's left other countrymen I could say didn't always do that yeah. Um, you know, and Aussies were known for that, and we 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 knew how to have a good time. And yeah, back in the day when it wasn't so serious, um, it did get more serious. I suppose you you weren't getting up to so much mischief. Um, it, yeah, like Epo was a classic one for just he was a prankster. He was always the prankster on tour, living it. You know, loving everyone loved him. Everyone, it was just always good vibes um, around Epo. Um, yeah, there's so many stories, I suppose, of different parties and different places we went um, where the bodyboarders just ran amok. Um, you know, I don't know where I'm going this. I mean, I remember one particular one in, in Japan. Um, and Japan's a pretty civilised place, you know. You know you oh, know, yeah, the, you, you very black and white. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, well, there was one party we were nearly the whole crew was at a karaoke bar and uh, it was like a five-level uh, building, all karaoke bars. That's something we had never even seen in Australia. But anyway, everyone's just packed into this karaoke bar. Like this room is, wouldn't fit probably... On a good day, you'd probably get 10, 15 people in there. You know? This was like 60 or 70 people jammed into this room, <laughs> just like sardines. And everyone's running amok trying to, trying to sing, I suppose. And it was... Whatever. And I remember, um, I think it was Chris Wan and, and Ep, uh, not Epo, um, it might have been Epo, but I, Glammy come in, Glammy Tammy, and he had the fire extinguisher in his hand. And he had on the fire extinguisher, you got a pin yeah. pin on the top. And uh, he looked, he had there, he, I didn't think he was prepared to actually pull the pin, but um, if it was Epo or Chris, I can't remember who pulled the pin. Anyway, someone pulled the pin. <laughs> and then they both looked at each other and went oh fuck it and they just dropped it and if you know you've seen uh, like the suppressant the pink dust it was usually white I think it's usually white but it's a white dust it's, yeah. a, it's a powder it's so fine and literally the whole room become pink in a matter of 
10 seconds. Everyone's pink. Everything's pink. Every, the whole thing was fucked. <laughs> this thing, this shit got into every component there was. So the fire doors have opened up. They're all the fire alarms going off, and there's these big, huge, like, fire doors that shut the, uh, you know, the, the hallways. And all the boys are out there chucking books in the fire doors, trucking plants, trying to stop the fire doors, and then just entering other karaoke bars, other karaoke rooms. Yeah. And just running amok, and then just think it was just the best thing ever. But Japan is like, shit doesn't go down. You just get in trouble. And next minute, we've heard the sirens come, and like, there was fire trucks, and then the police. And it, by that time, we were, it was 20 of us running down the road. And uh, I remember there was a 7 Eleven, and we all, about six of us, ended up in the 7 Eleven, just running amok. Like, two of them were under the slurpy machine couple of the boys had these big Mexican hats on that they got they took off the walls of the karaoke place they were running down the street with these Mexican hats on <laughs> you know you got the guys like they, they, that was a big night but we thought we got away with it and uh, you know whatever happened in the rest of the night we all went and the next day was the Connors is still on and we were all down there and and the cops turn up and we're like ah oh, fuck so we knew why the cops were turning up and they, they're straight they knew where all the boys were from and, and anyway long story short it was it, at that night that was a, a Japanese um, professional Japanese girl's birthday and um, in the end we had to come up with I think it was $35,000 um, to pay for the karaoke damage <laughs> of, of the room and so what we did me and my ex Layla we were you know sort of head of a uh, certain part of the of the of the contest and uh, they trusted Layla at the time to be at the door but what we did we sat at the door where they all come in and collect their money it's the only way to get the money that we needed so whenever it come when come to the end of the contest when people come to collect their prize money or their yeah. whatever they got we were there and they had to hand it over if we had identified them that they were at the the on the night they had to give us money, so we collected and we got it. Like as in all the prize money, everyone, that they won, everyone, whatever, whatever money they anyone could get, and we knew where to get it. So we just stayed at that door and just went, right, you were there, give us some money. You were there, and, and ended up paying the bill. Yeah, right. So we, got, we none of us got in real trouble. I don't know what happened. You know, Japan, like it's it's a big thing. It was, a, yeah. it was, a, and would have hit the papers for sure. Like a, bodyboarders I, are known for just being so wild and fun, and that's what I love about hanging out with them. There's, there's not too much ego. They're just out to have a good time. Yeah, well, that's I, yeah. That's that, what I was saying about early days in the, in the tour. It was no, it was man. I knew guys that started and they were fucking living off potatoes just to be there. Yeah, you know, there was no money. Like we didn't have any money to live it up in a five star resort or. It was like every bunch of us would be, you know, five or six of us in one room or, or you'd know where to stay. You'd, you, what the good thing, I suppose, about it was a lot of us got to know the families of areas where we went who kids or got, uh, other guys were on tour that were from those countries. And you'd end up knowing heaps of people because you didn't stay in hotels. You yeah. stayed with the crew. You stayed with the, the families of the crew or the families of the competitors. And that was brilliant. That was the best part of the tour because you, you'd... you'd you, one you'd see the country but you're experiencing it you know when you know someone in a country and you, you can get to experience that country with the local yeah. or people there, that's tenfold than going on a fucking trip and staying at the Marriott or no know, yeah you know, that's it's, the it's, people it's, ask me too like even now they're like why do you still stay in hostels I'm like because that's the most fun that's where everyone yeah, that's, is is having the most fun they're like what you know like we used to hear stories of, of the surfers because they were some. Like I said, we used to tail the surfers, and sometimes they 
would be around um, before or after our events, and you'd hear the stories of where the surfers were staying and what they were doing, and their families were with them, and like, really? Yeah. yeah. Maybe at the time you were a bit envious and jealous because they, were, you know, they had the money to bring their their girlfriends or their or their wives or their family across to the event and, yeah. and live it up in that style. But really, that wasn't that wasn't. Really. Well, it wasn't as much fun. You're not getting anything out of the trip doing that. But so bodyboarders are known for they're mainly known for two things, and and one is being fun party animals the other one is is being chargers and paving the way for surfers by finding those waves mm-hmm. and because of that passion because they are there for the love of it and they're and they're there to um yeah you like you're saying like everyone's there before dark just for the passion it's like yep. you guys are traveling so much just for the passion to find those waves and to find those slabs but i would consider that you were someone that paved the wave for a lot of a lot of these waves that were found like yeah there was i mean there was definitely i wouldn't say i'm claiming um finding waves um there's definitely special sides of being there earlier than than the crowd so to speak that then you know I, my for me um i'll tell you a story i was in japan uh, at a wave pool um because japan was one of the big things for us i mean we love japan japan was people the food the place it was fucking awesome i always rated it but anyway me and chris one were we're doing this wave pool promotion for our sponsors and they were pretty cool yeah you were this huge room surfing shit you know this little piddle thing but it was just fun it was just a crazy yeah. crazy atmosphere but i'll never forget i was sitting down and, and uh chris one come up to me and he's thrown this cover of this surfer it's an old surfer magazine american surfer and uh, it was two shot sequence of this crazy fuck off left barrel and I, as soon as I, as soon as I see it, I went, look, where the fuck is that? It was just straight up, you hadn't seen, it was just insane. I'm like, man, he's like, we're going. We're going next yeah. month, we're going. I'm like, where is it? He goes, just, I'll tell you later. And anyway, one thing led to another, and uh, I ended up in Tahiti for the uh, first time in my life uh, with um, five of us, Kyle Maligro, Chris Wan, myself, Apologise for the others who were on the t- on the trip. I can't remember, but to me it was it was this adventure of of I've, I didn't even know there was sick waves in Tahiti. I'd never heard. I was like, always oh, there going to Indonesia, Indonesia, and I was just. What year was this? Do you remember? Ninety four. Yeah, right. I think ninety four. Anyway, we we I heard s- stories um, that. There was this wave over there, and uh, that when I seen these photos, I was there. I just went, "Fuck, Chris, that is, we've got to go." And we went. And we we organised the trip, and I heard stories of um, Mike being a place where Mike used to go, and he didn't, you know, he held that secret for a long time. And, and same with um, Ben Severson was. There was a photo of Ben Severson not long after it, and it was one of the best photos. Blue perfect chopes just as We're good as it chopper. yeah well mike so yeah I, i've mentioned the name right there so it was chopes and it was yeah. it, we but then it wasn't called chopes either man it was it was well I've, i did a podcast with mike stewart telling me how he found that wave yeah right like, the, the story about it yeah and it, it's insane but yeah well, so i mean our adventure was um so we were invited to go and stay with now we know is uh, Romana Romana Van Bost who's 
one of the biggest uh, pro surfers for Billabong free surfers for Chopu, and he's the, he's the name behind it. But um, Romana was a bodyboarder back then, and we got to stay with Romana, and, he and his family looked after me and Chris and a few of the uh, other people we were with. And unfortunately, that of that trip, it rained heaps, but the excitement around going down to this wave and and trying to fight surf it but it was just shit it was literally absolute just brown water two feet and i never got to see it but i'll never forget they i was staying with Romana and um he had this uh painting on the wall of himself he painted and it was like uh what was that old comic book um he's having tracks um Oh, um, gonad man. Gonad man, you know, and yeah. it was literally like, you know, he was tiny and this thing was just giant. And, and I was a little had a bit of a laugh. Was, you know, this, this is, we used to call it Kumbaya back then because it wasn't known as, Chopu was the village, but the, yeah. the, it was first called Kumbas, Kumbaya. It was known as the end of the road. And uh, he's like, no, no, Ben, don't, don't laugh. This is, this is, this is Chopu. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, no, 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 this is me, Chopu. And he was on a bodyboard. And that was, he wasn't fucking around. He was dead serious. Yeah, right. And I'd, I'm like, man, this place is just off its hook. I'm like, we've got to come back. Because we didn't score at that time. And I, so I went home after that. I had an awesome trip. Fell in love. And it was just, it was just, my whole life changed after that trip. It was like, I found this island that just done something to me. I, I knew I wasn't going back to Indonesia again. I knew that everything had changed. And so I went home and I told my best mate, Stu's, uh, and Stuart was, um, I said, mate, we, we've got to go. We've got to go. I've got to take you to this, this wave. It's, it's, and he didn't know at the time. No one knew what this wave. No one knew about anything about it. And I, I showed him. I told him about it. And he's like, well, let's, let's do it. And uh, on that trip, we surfed Chopu. Uh, it was probably 12, 12 feet, as good as it gets. And, and the mutant. Just, mutant. just, But no one out. There was no one around. No one. Ex- no, we we were searching to try and find something to paddle out with. I remember we found a bathtub. We actually pulled a bathtub out of this guy's yard and tried to paddle out in the bathtub. Me and Stu's, and it sunk. And why? Why? I don't know. We just needed something out there for to hold Stu's camera camera gear. And oh, Stu- like, like, that's, that's, like this a is back in the fucking yeah. camera where you got your thirty six per thirty six shots. So, per, so per. let's um. There's a whole story around here. So. You, you're at Chopu way back in the day where if anything happens, you know, you're on this, you're surfing this heavy, one of the heaviest waves in the world and one of the gnarliest reefs where no one's around. It's not set up for it back then. Aren't you fucking scared that if something happens to you guys, like what is going through your mind or was Mate. it just the excitement of just surfing it? It was. Did you just have a plan if something <laughs> happened? There's no plan. Like you get your fucking hire car and you, you're flying down the road just absolutely pumped and I one thing one for, for me it was a bit scary because I had no one to surf with like the yeah. photographer and me and my girlfriend well, Layla time she was a good bodyboarder one of the best I believe um, and charged but uh, unfortunately um, I'll tell you, there's another story to that day what happened to her she nearly cut a finger off before she got there with a coconut and a Swiss army knife so she was stuck in the car but uh, Stu's and I paddled out and you're literally you know like, I knew it was pretty big. I'd been there before. I had a few sessions before Ian arrived, and and um, he was. He, Stu's used to push me hard. Like he he was he charged. Stu's was a charger, and very much like if I peaked or pulled back, he'd fucking make sure I knew knew it. You know, 
anyway. So he's there to push you. He was, but it was scary to paddle out Chopes. So is he, is he just in the channel taking photos? Yeah, so he's behind me. We swam out together and... and uh, so how the... F- Fuck man! So you, we've we've is, got out there, and I'm trying to tell him, you wait, you wait to see this thing, and we're, he's like, yeah, come on, Vince, let's go, let's go, and he's you know one arm swimming with his huge housing, and uh, he knows he's only got you know limited photos because yeah, back then it's the, just the the old the uh, film, film, and uh, we get out there, and I've got one before because he was lagging, I got one, and I've come off, and he's just getting into the lineup, and he's just losing, oh, fuck, look at this, fuck off, I said, Stu's. Just fucking wait for the sets. That was nothing. And then I paddle back out, and uh, this bombs. Aren't you scared? Yeah, because I, I had nowhere to line up. There was no one in the water, so you, you got less to line, know where you are. And I'd never surfed it this big, but it was so perfect. It was like, it was like this. What's is, going through your mind? These huge waves are coming in. So, like, this is, so I've got I got one, and I paddle back out, and this bomb set comes. And I could hear Stu's in the channel just fucking, go, go, you fucking puff, go. And I'm paddling, I'm paddling, I'm paddling, I'm looking at it, looking down, and I'm just looking at the scene, and I'm like, fuck, look at this, fuck. And I've just, mate, I've just pulled pulled back. I've just went, You pulled back? I pulled, I was like, fuck. I'd, I'd never been, that, it was that, it was, I was just like, fucking hell, and I copped it. I mean, I fucking copped it so bad. So this is like a 12-footer? 12 12 easy 12-footer. Like mutating Never been there that big, and, and I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. You know what? It was one of the waves that I always wish I never pulled, pulled, back, pulled on. back because Stu's wasted half the fucking film on that wave. And What, taking photos of he an couldn't, empty wave? He couldn't it stop. Perfect? It was that perfect. He couldn't stop, and he knew he'd fucked up because he realised he'd taken too many, but he couldn't stop fucking pressing the button because it was so perfect and he just ripped my ripped me a new asshole but the next one was nearly the same and that was um the i don't know you know, i got a poster of i got a, you know we, we, we shot i think it was a 16 shot sequence of that next wave um which oh, i've got the shivers thinking it was, about it. it was i was you know i was nearly as good as the first i don't know if the first one was better or not because that one was still still so perfect you know was or, it the f- same set that the next yeah, one or did so you have same, to sit no, there? same set it was the so second you've missed the first I've one you've the turned first, and there's another one coming yeah, behind yeah. you and i wasn't going to not go because i could hear the stews and he was fucking angry anyway so i've got that one we were losing our shit what I, was the drop like do you remember the actual way yeah, take I do, us I, through I, the wave <laughs> look i just remember it was Does this plane go over God, it's a beautiful afternoon on the Gold Coast. It's Isn't it what? so freaking glassy out there. It's nice little waves coming through. It's picturesque. Epic. So, yeah, so I just remember, once you, Chopes was a, if you know that you've made the bottom end turn, it's kind of, I learned this later on. This was, so I'm still first wave kind of zoning of, yeah. of uh, serving the place. But Chopes is, when you get to that position where you've made the bottom end turn and you, you can, it, you, you kind can, of feel like you stop and, it's drains and and you everything's going on, but you feel like you're not going anywhere. Yeah, you, you, you got that. some of them, not all of them. Some of them you just feel like you're going as fast as you can possibly go. But some of them you just sit there and it's just you're just like on this level surface, and it's just like you cannot not make it. You know, if you're at that situation, it's just that you know you're coming out. Even, Are you scared? Even, I was scared taking off, but I wasn't scared once I made the bottom end turn and knew. Yeah. where I was but I but, never but, forget was, the fact when I come out got spat out we both lost it 
I'm talking lost it. Like we were, we knew we'd got the shot. We knew what we just seen. This is two ways into the session. Yeah, or three ways into the session. And Stu's he's just losing. He's he's frothing at the ball, but he knew he'd just done the whole film in two ways. Yeah, that's how much he was frothing. So he's like, "Look at me, give me your fucking board, give me your board." Yeah, so now it's his turn so now. He, he wants like, one. What? He goes, "Just give me your fucking board. I want to have a go." And so I was like, "Yeah, right." I'm, I've yelled at him. I said, "Don't go the first ones," because it was really worse. It was big fuck off fucking uh, end bowl wedges, like well, not wedge, but you know, just the real heavy ones. And I said, yeah. "Stu, just wait. Be patient. Don't go the first one." Whatever, you know, Stu's was known as just. We used to call him the fastest paddle in the world because he just heads he's just down, fucking water going everywhere, excited, and, and yeah. he's super excited. So he's paddled out, and the set's coming. What has Stu's done? He's paddled deep, deep, and went the first one. And I'm looking at it, going, "You're so fucked." Oh my god! <laughs> and he's, yeah, he's come off the bottom and made it was an incredible pit, but I knew he was too deep, and I've just seen him just get swallowed, and made he ripped. He ripped his asshole to pieces, ripped his back. He come up, just looked at him and went, let's go. <laughs> that was bullshit. And uh, we paddled in. Was he, was he and, in and, pain? And, and, or was he mate, too mate, stoked he to was be too pain. pumped. Mate, I'm telling you, we were, we, were, we were in this high. We were, no, I, it was one of the biggest highs of all serving, of all my time of um, having a three-day high. Yeah. It was literally... Um, it was we'd never seen anything like we we knew we discovered something that we'd never seen we knew how perfect it was kind of like okay when this gets out yeah look this is going to change um everything this is this is the, that's the most perfect pit i've ever seen in my life and and yeah we were just frothing but i remember we drove all the way back to um romana's house were you scared of something would happen to that film oh fuck yeah no we actually packaged it like double wrap Stews Stews couldn't put in enough bags to to make sure it was it was going to get home, and uh, that's another story in itself. uh, When we done the presentation, we um we we turned the film around and made it as a right hander. Oh really? Oh, to kind of hide where it was. Yeah, yeah. We told all these like some big names were there on that slide night because we used to have slide nights back at North of Vega with um a few of the boys and mate. We just fuck it. Let's just turn it around and tell them we surfed this right hander. We weren't going to let it out. And um, yeah, but anyway, going back, so I went, I drove home to Romana's house, and uh, Romana couldn't come that day, I don't know why, but oh, we sat down and had our baguette, and Romana's walked in, and I'm just looking and going, we, we got it. And he's like, what? And I said, man, we got it. Fuck, it was, it was bullshit. And he's like, I told you, I told you. You know, and I'm like, fuck, man, that's crazy. You know, he's, he's frothing now because he knows yeah. we've now experienced what it was. And, Mate, me and Stu's never went, never looked back. We didn't go anywhere else. We just kept going back to Tahiti. So that from, from that one wave, that was from it. that you one were just session. Sold on Tahiti. That was one session that lasted no more than fucking an hour. So what did you end up doing, Tahiti? Because I, I didn't you end up buying a yacht there. Yeah, so we we, we frothed on uh, on Tahiti for years. We went back and forth. Stu's probably did more than, than I did because um, he took a few crews back, and um, that was when Ryan Hardy was really building his name, and Ryan was good mates of ours and yeah, Ryan was a charge I couldn't wait to see Ryan at Chopu um, on you know I was I'll, I'll admit I I wasn't a charger like they, they you know their product their own environment the WA boys were just mad yeah and, and they loved it. Um, you know I loved my my sessions but when it gets crazy big I mean fuck they can have it sometimes you're just like man 
you know, it's yeah, it's d- just it's a different level. But what's the flogging like at Chopee compared to like pipe or something? Yeah, like when, when, when yeah, you get wiped, yeah, well, there's no you, fucking sandy beach to rock up at. You know, you're going to go down, you're going to go down, and you're going to end up in the lagoon. You probably just you know scratch the living shit out of yourself or you've broken something. But I was lucky at Chopee. I didn't get a huge amount of well I got some good scrapes um Chopes and other reefs around there are known to really open you up in the way of um like cutting cutting but up. big days you, you you yeah there were some crazy injuries I heard about I didn't see too many in the sessions um but yeah luckily enough I, I hit the bottom a few times but you just ended up in the lagoon you know and, and that was back then you'd had to do the big paddle around you know yeah if you were by if like back if you only had two or three of his out and the set come and you you know one and got washed in you wouldn't see anyone for 40 minutes because they've either in the lagoon looking for their board and then the, the paddle's 40 minutes yeah so you'd be out there by yourself just come where the fuck is everyone you know like, yeah and you know that we had some classic sessions we knew a couple of frenchmen that lived down the road that we'd always go to see if they were home to get in, and use their boat and like early days, there was one fisherman that we used to go, and he used to just take us to Chopes and watch us. They would be throffing just to take us to watch, because he, yeah. he'd never seen anyone surf there, and, and he'd just be that stoked just surf to, these huge to see someone surfing. And uh, there was many different days where we had like, um, you know, special days. Like you can remember smaller days too, where you'd go and you'd surf with one lad, and he'd like, you know. Come in, come in, and we'll come in where? Come onto the reef. We'll go on the reef. What are you doing? And you just bust out a fucking big joint and you just sit there and watch perfect Chopu having a joint and going, uh-huh. well, is this is this crazy? Or there's no one here. <laughs> and all day, like all day, a day after day after day, you would be surfing Chopes. No one around. No one around. Yeah, yeah. And do you knew you, there was no one coming either. Do you understand that you're probably one of the luckiest surfers? You know, like that there is to have that, and how special that is. It's slow. It's 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 slowly become very. Um, like at the time, it was probably just normal. That's yeah, what you're doing. At the but time, we, we we when I look back and know how early we were at Chopes and and Tahiti. Look, don't just not just. There's other waves that I discovered over there that I stopped going to Chopes. Um, but um, yeah, early Chopes. You, 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 I did feel lucky to be there early days because I remember surfing it with Layla. Um, you know, you, me, you, you and your girlfriend surfing epic waves and, and all day. Yeah. No one around. You might have one or two guys come. And there was a doctor that used to surf there. He's, he was, it, it, you always wanted someone to come out. You're always waiting. You were looking in the lagoon, waiting for someone to paddle out because you wanted some more people. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was special times, I suppose. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That Tahi changed me for how I, I always wanted to just go back. The place is beautiful. The people are beautiful. Um, and, yeah, the waves were in fucking insane. Yeah. They, they, they were. And, and, but, yeah, to see what it, where it went, we knew it was going to explode. Yeah. It was just that It was, it was one of those things. You can't hold that secret you for too can't long. Hold. Then, then uh, I think it was um, Gotcha did the first contest there for the surface uh, when, the, when the boat washed up on the, on the reef. And it was stormy, brown, massive, crazy, but it still exposed it yeah. to that next level. Um, and then I suppose, unfortunately, the whole what you know when something changes, it just doesn't just change in the surfing arena; it changes on the land to the locals and everything. And so you've got the people seeing 
they've got something in their backyard and and they were starting to see that they could make money off it and, yeah and yeah, yeah so you've got your, your change of like when we used to go to Tahiti in the first days it was a lot of um, it wouldn't matter if you put your hand out hitchhiking, hitchhiking on the road you'd end up with a family that you were friends with for life yeah and it slowly changed because surfing became a big arena in, in Tahiti and they were, you know they were a lot of people weren't making money but they could see they could make money off this and so yeah there was that yeah, instead was, of becoming another human being just like well you weren't that rarity anymore yeah you yeah, know what I mean yeah, I'll help become, this guy out it's like oh actually this is <laughs> but we were lucky we caught we formed some great um friends friends over in Tahiti and, and like I said I fell in love with it I knew where I wanted to end up so that's going into the next story I suppose of my life of leaving the tour um I was still on tour I just won um the year before I won the US Open my biggest win um for I suppose uh crowds wow factor you know like yeah. holy shit this is huge um to the next year I was in a boat on my own boat in Tahiti because we I come home um certain things happened I decided to just drop the tour I just literally well we and that was the interview when I did with uh it wasn't that was way after but there was an interview and I think they named it right flick the switch but I did flick a switch I was like on tour one minute and then next minute I was meeting a bunch of the boys going let's buy a boat and I knew in all the travels I did and I, I, I loved being on boats for surf trips and, and then I loved Tahiti so I just put two together and went well, let's bring a fucking boat over here Yeah, you know this is the next big thing we knew Chopes was the next big thing we knew that it was, we thought it was going to explode yeah. and it did in a way but not in the way that we thought Yeah, in the sense that like, like the in, Indonesian, like the Indonesian thing so we chose to buy the boat and I was the main investor with with, with Ian. Ian and I were the main guys behind the boat. We got our other guy, other friends and uh, partners in, and um, we knew. Okay, so I, I got to drop. I got to drop everything here, and I literally dropped sponsors. I dropped everything. I just went full steam on this boat, um, getting the boat ready. I was green as fuck. You know the old story. You think you know boats, but we thought we were just going to buy a boat and motor it to Tahiti and good old days. But uh, as it turned out. It wasn't um, as easy as that. So, um, what was the plan to buy a boat and then do surf charters? Yeah, so we were, had a whole goal of like we're going to take this boat and do surf and fishing charters in Tahiti, knowing, feeling that that it was going to explode in Tahiti. And um, there's many factors if you want to go into the business side of the, the why it didn't um, succeed. We did four years of the charters in Tahiti, but the biggest problem i suppose we faced was chopu was everyone was scared of chopu yeah you know your average, your average family groms and family and dads who've taken it's a proving ground yeah well it's and we didn't see it that because we were too frothing on how good it was we knew there was other ways to to complement the um around but we we were limited to certain things so that was another factor of i suppose where we knew we couldn't go in tahiti there was i could have taken you know the boat to many places but i wasn't allowed um yeah. the Tahitians are very good at that they, they've they've um what's what's the word like your local um very good at keeping that place if you want to go and see it happy enough to they'll be you know they're happy for you to go over there with a mate and paddle the lagoon and, and go out there with no photographers and and, and surf it all day and, and do that but if you start taking photographers in a big boat yeah, and into their ways, mate. They're going to shut you down real quick. 
Yeah. And they did. They, we didn't try. I knew, the, I knew the laws. I'd already been confronted and I knew where I could and couldn't go. And, and that was another small factor why I believe it, it didn't um, take off. But the main factor was that we couldn't get anyone over there because, shit, you get them over there and they were just there to see Chopra, but they'd not really surf it. They were too scared already. Because they, they had in their, their, or their visions they had of this crazy left that they'd seen in the magazines of the most craziest photos they've ever seen but chopu you can surf at two feet to you know to, to 20 feet if you want to but um yeah it, it was like i remember that many sessions and that many groups i took over there that they didn't want to go out and they said ben can you go out we just want to watch you yeah yeah that was, right. that was fucking great i remember when i was there <laughs> i remember when i was there that it was the um trials for the conness was on mm-hmm. and um and it was like kind of a, it was a great excuse I remember watching it we went out on the channel and watched it and I was like oh yeah I can't surf while the trials are on <laughs> it was just like like I was even I was one of those guys just watching this thing and it was only it wasn't mutating but it was 6 to 8 foot and yep. it was yeah it was big and heavy still and 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 even me, I was just like, because I'm shit on my backhand I am, I am terrible at pig dogging and I was looking at this thing just going I'm actually kind of glad I don't have to surf, you know, because that's the thing. Like, you, sometimes you don't have any excuses, you know, or you don't. It's just weird, you know, like when you when you are scared, you know. I, like I remember doing the seasons in Mexico and Porto, and like it gets big, and next thing, every, everyone's injuries come out, you know. It's yep, just that, yep, like, yep. oh, oh, me, my shoulders playing up this week, <laughs> I can't paddle out, and I kind of get it, you yeah, know. It's yeah, just yeah. like, oh, look, I remember even I'll tell you a story. I'm I'm happy to say there was when I was saying about Ryan Hardy. Um, when Ryan come over, we we seen the swell. It was it was macking swell. Me, it was only um, me, Stu's, and uh, I can't remember who else was there. I think Tyson Williams might have been on this trip. Uh, and this morning, we could hear the the island was rumbling, and it was been raining, and nothing worse. And it's big, and it's dark, and stormy, and it's brown, and and made it. When you're up in the island, further up where you had to travel down from, and there's this one beach um, where you could, there was actually a, a uh, like a little inside lagoon that's had this tiny bit of sand beach, and if it was big enough, that little thing would be like two feet. Yeah. If that was two feet, you knew Chopra was macking. Yeah. It was just like okay. It was like this little one part, this one bend that you'd turn, and we'd wait to get to that bend because there's a lot of coastline where you traveling to chopes you can't really tell yeah you knew it was big but you didn't know how big and you're kind of like fuck. but when that when i seen that little beach that morning i went fuck it's big and i looked at ryan and but ryan it's so it's going to be solid he's like oh i reckon because it was one of his first big sessions at chopes and uh we got the boat we had a boat that day and a little dinghy we paddled, we, we we zoomed out we zoomed out we could see it was it was huge and i was mate i was scared i was like Fuck, you, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, there's no one out. Yeah. Only me and Ryan and um, I think it was just me and, and if Ryan. If you get done, me. you're done. You know what I mean? There's, and, there's not like... Anyway, Ryan's... Because Ryan's still grom and he's looking at me and we've got it got in the lineup and he's looked at me and he's like... We didn't know... We didn't know who was going to go first. And I'm watching these things and it wasn't perfect. It was It was so south. It was so big, but it was... It was, it was crazy barreling, but the ends were, were nipping... It was when it gets really south and it doesn't have enough west in it. It doesn't have that end crazy bowl, but you you get a crazy crazy up the reef bowl, and then when you're coming out, it can it can actually shut down the top of it a little bit if it if it's that big. And we watched and watched, and 
Man, I just looked at Ryan and went, you can fucking have it. <laughs> I'm not fucking going out there. And he's like, looked at me and went, fuck, yeah, I don't know, eh? And then all of a sudden he's like, fuck it. And he's jumped over. And, oh, mate, God I just went, him. mate, yeah. go for it. And I was pumped just to watch him because, you know, it was one of those things. I was, I was, yeah, you know, Stu's was giving me shit for, you know, what are you doing, you fucking poof? And I'm like, mate, you know what? I want to watch him. I want to watch him get first the first two. Yeah. And I was pumped to watch him. And he's paddled out, paddled, paddled deep way because this day was, like I said, it was really south and, and uh, you could go further up the reef. And he got one. I just remember seeing the, like, we couldn't see, it was that far up. We could just see, like, the, the line because we were waiting for the wave in front of us to move. So, we, but we could see that he was on one. And we've come up, we've seen he was that deep and he was traveling for that long before he got to the end. And the, that one landed and snapped him. And he's come in and just went, fuck, that was bullshit. Did he hit the reef? No, no, he was all good. Oh, but he, we, I think he got one or two waves and now he said, that was it. That's, I'm mad enough. Let's, let's go. And it was, it was mad session. It was mad. I remember because it was the biggest chopes I'd ever seen surfed. And I was like happy to see Ryan. I went, oh, that, that, that was, well, I think we need to celebrate it. I can't remember what else. What's, I know he was, he was frothing. And, so you would have surfed some huge swells over there. I, Not just at Chose, but at other ways. Well, there's a story, you know. For me, um, I suppose this one's a, this one could go into I could go into detail, but no, yeah, yeah, do it. We yeah, got time, man. It was um, for me. It was the craziest day beside the ocean, of the ocean. I wasn't didn't even surf. It was this was the craziest day I'd ever seen it, and for me, it was a day that I'll never ever forget. Um, and people, and this is between me and me. There's no one else experienced it because they, I was by myself. Um, so we were in Tahiti, we were in Huahini with uh, Stews and a few of the uh, crew, and we'd been in Tahiti already a few weeks. And I remembered this kid on a bike going down the road, and he stopped. Oh, you women, hey, you seen big six, eight meter swell coming? Big, big. We're like, laughing at this kid going, fuck, six, eight metres. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And we were like kind of a bit of a cruisy, um, what do you say, just just doing it, just checking out another island, you know, we weren't. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've looked at the chart, because back then you, you download a chart on the internet, on a computer, it would take you fucking 20 minutes to download the chart. It wasn't, yeah, you know, it wasn't real shit. You know, the old fucking tones that you have to wait. And it was really hard to get a, an up-to-date um, swell kind of readings. And you, you, you would do your best to... But we seen this low and went, holy fuck. And Stu's is due to go out in the next day with all the crew. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is this is going to be the biggest swell you've ever seen to heat. And he goes, I've got to go home. I've got to go. We've, I've just got to go. And I'm like, fucking kidding me. Even though I realised it was that big, I didn't know if we were going to be surfing, but I just wanted to be. So anyway, unfortunately, the next morning, oh, that afternoon, that night, I had to take the boys to the airport, and I was just giving them heaps, mate, going, you guys are fucking idiots. It's going to be absolutely the biggest swell you've ever seen here, and you're going home. So they all went home, and I've gone back by myself to the house. And it was because in Tahiti you got to drop the boys off really late at the airport, and so basically it was a non no sleep night for me. I time I drove them back to where we lived, it was really early in the morning, and I slept in 
But I'd already spoken. Is it like 2am flights? Yeah, something no, like that. Yeah, it was yeah. something 2 like that for me, yeah. I knew um, Chris Wine and Brian Wise was on, on the island. We spoke to them where they were going to go and uh, what, the, what they were thinking anyway. And, and um, I hadn't never travelled to um, this island just next to Tahiti called Morea. And uh, anyway, so I've woken up late. And, mate, no shit, the fucking island was rumbling. And, but it was blue sky, perfect day. I could just hear how big it was. So I've got in the car. I knew I was I, I, I was spewing because I was like, "Fuck, I'm, I'm I've, I've slept in." I've gone to this beach called Papara, and it's got this mental like snake pit. Just this peak. It's just mutant, and it was I don't know thirty feet offshore and just as craziest thing you've ever seen. Absolutely, there were, I know, I'll take the back. I was going into the car park, which is just this dirt boulder road um, into the um, you know dirt car park. And as I was coming down to the car park, there was new boulders in the car park. There was really? new rocks I'd seen, never been there, and this everything was just like, what the fuck's going on here? There was this mist in the air, and it was just like, what? How big is it? And there's this guy uh, I can't. He used to live in the tree. Um, right at that beach and he was collecting part of his hut his hut had been blown out of the tree by someone I'm like yeah that's impossible how could it come up there like you know yeah so I've looked at him and like man what happened What's, I think it's Aldo his name was and he's like Marcy where, where, do, I, where do I go and where do I, and he goes oh the boys they're going to um, Habiti Habiti God Habiti God Maria and I was like fuck right so I just jumped in the car and drove to the city and booked myself on on the ferries, and they were said this is the last ferry, last ferry leaving for the day. It's this world's getting too big, and so I've got on the ferry by myself in the kayak car, and I've gone upstairs, and we're halfway through, well, not half, well, coming out of the heads, and I don't know the distance between the two islands, but in all my time I'd been there, I'd never seen what I'd I'd never seen this happen before. But there was each line of swell was the distance of one island to the other so there was it was only one big line traveling between through the island the next big line traveling through so you could see the line yeah it, it traveled that long and the ferry was going up 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 and then down, down. It was, and it was perfect it was perfect everything was just offshore and it was like how the fucking big is it so we get into we're coming into Morea and, and there's a big it's non-surfable left and right but it was macking and it was closing out the the um, channel that you usually go in but the ferry you know, went, went straight through it was just like a whitewash big rip close out yeah. but this giant giant left so I'm looking into off on the ferry just going wow man and I didn't know where this wave I knew it was close to the airport I'd never been there I didn't know how to get there but yeah tell you, it's not this so way. you're going the boys are at a I, wave, I, so you're I heard go try and they, were, they were going to that was the only wave that was surfable um, mm. in, in that you know, in the area, in that think, size, in that size, and and uh, so I've got off the ferry. I I seen how big it was, mate. I knew I didn't think I was surfing. I just it just didn't look like anything was working. It was just macking. And so I've driven around to close to the airport to try and find an entry to this to find where this wave was. And I've little driven one road, went up somebody's house, and driven another one, couldn't find an entry to actually where you actually look at the wave and in between this trying to find the wave I've taken this exit and ended up at the back side of the point 
which it's like a big L, I suppose. And I'm on the backside where the main swell's hitting, and then about you know 500 meters down, it would be the the um, where the wave actually runs down the the yeah. island. And uh, and I had a I'm sitting there. I've I've, walk, I've realized I'm some guy's property, and I've walked out, and this is like concrete wall, probably no two meter concrete wall there's one tree sitting between his concrete wall and and the other one that goes down to his property and i've just sat there and i could it was just mesmerizing to see how these waves were coming along these these giant 20 plus barrels offshore in front of me and i just just had to sit there and, and watch and just go fucking hell man this is nuts and i'm watching i'm watching i'm watching and all of a sudden, I've seen something out. I've seen a set that was just... I'm like, man, how, look at this thing. And I just waited for it to come. And it was it was giant. And Like how big? Are I we don't know, mate. I'm easy 30, easy 30 feet for, for Hawaiian stand. It was, it was massive. I've never seen something show itself so well in between two islands. So I had to stay there and watch. And I'm watching, I'm watching. And I'm, I wanted to go around because I wanted to find the boys on the other side. I thought, no, nah, fuck, I'm watch this set. And the first two hit, and right, right, it's a classic wave where, for Tahiti standards, it's the closest wave to the tree line and where the wave breaks. Yeah. It's just a real um, steep bit of reef that runs from, you know, underwater and up to where the tree line is. And it, it is the closest wave you can surf um, from the island to where it, where it breaks. But these first two broke, and I didn't realise what had been going on, but this this first one washed up and it drained out and the second one came in and like hit the wall but I was too busy watching the next two that were just these giant sets didn't realise that it was breaking so close and I've before I've kind of clicked I went fucking wait a minute look at this this is going to and I was mate I've seen this whitewash that was literally in front of me and it would have been 8 to 10 feet of whitewash coming my way knowing that this thing's going to just absolutely wipe out the fucking fence and everything so I've grabbed this tree and I've launched up the tree which was next to me what is it a palm just a, no, a little pine tree it wasn't a big tree it was, but it was big enough to get me up a couple of metres and so I, when I got to where I could stop and stop the tr- I realised I'd fucked up and thought oh this is it I'm fucked because I'm, I'm like next to the reef and seeing this thing it just it hit the wall below me and just blew straight through me and I was holding on for dear life I remember I remember the amount of water coming down I was holding the the branches and I, I had a I had a joint in my hand and a, and a lighter in the other hand and I, I you know when you, you're holding on something and you feel you're going that's yeah. it that's the there's nothing left and my little all through here was I was just about to get pulled out of this tree and, and taken to the ocean because and it was that time when it all finished. I, f- I was freaking out. I've gone down the tree and bolted on this guy's um, front lawn to the car, and I've just sat in the car and just just shaking, just going, "What the <laughs> fuck <laughs> just happened?" Like no one would have been known. You're I, so lucky you got up that tree. Well, no in one time. would have known I was there. No one did know I was there. No one was knew. I, was, I didn't ring anyone telling him I'll meet you there. I was there by myself. No one ever knew that I was even coming to that. You're just checking the surf, and just check comes and just and nearly, nearly grabbed me. The first time the ocean could say that the ocean nearly grabbed me. Imagine if you couldn't read the ocean. 
You know what I mean? Like oh, even, yeah, even I you didn't read it that day, did I? Yeah, even <laughs> you getting so stuck like that. But it was a bizarre moment of, of like, wow, what just happened? I remember sitting in the car just going, fuck. And then I kind of thought, well, I'll get me shit together and, and drove off and was only probably another five or 600 metres down the road. There was another um, right-hand turn and that was where I seen a few of the boys, surfers that I knew were coming out and uh, I think it was um, Liam McNamara um, or Garrett, Garrett McNamara, I can't remember if it was Liam or Garrett, but um, I'd heard him say, oh, Chris and um, Brian have just left. Like, and what, Chris nearly fucking, they both nearly got killed. I'm like, what? And so I've come out and I've seen it. It's now sort of on shore. The wind's come up a bit. And it was giant. It was absolutely just the biggest right-hander you'd, you'd seen. And I've seen the boys later on. And uh, I remember Chris telling me the story. He was so scared when he came, because this reef, this this place, if you don't get in to where you've got to come in, and when it's that big, you, oh, you mean, you're paddling for kilometres yeah, you just yeah. It's, and that day the rip, the current, it was it was crazy. But I remember Chris was telling me he came in, he kissed the rocks. He was so happy to be in. It was there's some photos of Brian Wise. Um, I don't know if Chris got any, but there was one or two photos that some I think Brian Bellman took, or I can't remember, but yeah, of him just bunny hopping on this giant right. Not for bodyboarding, you know. It was just, yeah, just, just, a, too, just big, too big, too, big, too messy, bouncy. too. And it was the biggest day I'd ever seen in Tahiti. No other day I'd ever come. I didn't. Was that the biggest wave you've ever seen? No, the biggest wave was ever seen was was Big Wednesday in Hawaii. Were you there for that? Yeah, all day. Didn't leave the ocean. Did you surf? No, no. Only we watched. I was with Shane, Shane Aran and and Ross uh, the morning, and I remember the white. All the girls were all upset because they were all. It was huge. It was mental. It was, but I never forget that one. That's another. But yeah, that were the biggest. That were the biggest waves I'd ever seen in my life. That was hands down the biggest stuff you'd ever. ever you didn't think waves could get that big, and uh, that was for me. That was another really special day to be at a place to to witness it. But that big one in Tahiti was the, because I remember we, that day after we, uh, I met up with a few of the boys and three of us went. Oh well, fuck it. We're not surfing. We're, let's go get some beers and um, we'll go around the island because there was lots of shit going on. There was we heard that it was. Um, some diet deaths and uh, houses being washed away and hotels getting washed away and all so we thought well let's go and check it out and I remember we we drove around and you get into the point where the way it swells a lot smaller on the other side because it's a pretty small island and we're coming up again to the the, the um, side where the swell's hitting hard and it's all onshore and we're, we're watching out in the lagoon and we could see this whitewash coming through the lagoon and you, you never ever see whitewash in these lagoons. Like I'm talking six foot of whitewash yeah. pouring into the lagoon and not stopping. Going, fuck, this thing's not going to stop. And we're in, you know, good. I don't know. Here to the rocks over there, I suppose. Um, so is that two hundred meters? In the car, stopped on the road. There's people everywhere, like trying to collect shit on the road and. You'd see this whitewash, and it's going to go straight through the bush, and we're just watching it. I don't know why we just we just watched it go straight through the bush and come slamming into the side of the car. <laughs> fuck off! What the fuck? So we, yeah, it was a bizarre day. Like it was really a, a special day to, to be in witness 
what 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 was going on. Witness what Mother Mother Nature can do. Yeah, man. Because I'd never seen again a Tadey be that big. Uh, and well, I suppose the one thing I do regret that day. So I had two options that day in the morning when I got up. I was by myself, uh, and and then, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to surf Chopes, but I do regret not turning left and going to Chopes and just having a look at it just to see it. And then, well, I just told you the story of what happened to me that day, but. Um, yeah, it was either, okay, go to Tropes and have a look and see what craziness you could see, or, yeah, go and see the boys and see if we can surf this wave, and I chose that, and, and you know. But I do regret one that morning, just to, just to take that hour out and go and have a look what Tropes was doing that day, because it would have been code red shit. Like, what do you, What's inside you, do you reckon, that pushes you to surf such big waves? Well, it's, I don't. Was it just I don't, I'm not. A, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a big wave surfer. I'm not like the, what they do these days, and the, what the Groms have no, but proven themselves as these these what they've. Yeah, but now they're using weight vests. They got they got. There's so much in place. There's so much training and everything. Back there, back in the day, you're raw. You're in Tahiti in this village, where if shit goes wrong, shit goes wrong. You know what I mean? No, there's no get, one there got your back. Don't like, get me wrong. I was there was many mornings where you 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 were there with a few of the crew and you knew it was going to be big and yeah you 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 like some some just froth you know you, you know that you're sort of paranoid and like fuck it's going to be massive out there yeah and you're shitting you know you're thinking fuck i hope i don't know but you know you, it's the adrenaline kicks in and and it, and everyone just pumps each other and, and you you get your waves and you're just pumped i don't know what it, it was just the fact of I mean, like you got to think a lot of the the sessions in Tahiti, we didn't go there to get photos. We went there to surf. Yeah, we didn't. There was a lot of a lot of sessions in Tahiti. I went there just to surf um, the wave and and have those sessions. But yeah, I suppose it was just that thrill of just getting the best bow. And it was a race against time. We knew it was a race against time before the place got crowded. Yeah. So we tried to you know get as much as we could. And, and if you could have uncrowded 10 to 15 foot chopes no I wouldn't choose 10 to 15 I would, <laughs> I, I would choose 6 to 8 really yeah would you but right now right now let's just say you don't have the injury because right now you got your shoulder injury yep let's say and, pre, a, and a beer gap yeah and a bit pre-injury if, if, pre-injury. You got, if you if you got invited to Tahiti to surf it by yourself <laughs> I'd, I'd, at 12 foot would you do it Right now, that's my bit. Right now, <laughs> yeah, without the, any of the yeah, without the injury, without but it, like as in like well, I haven't been training or yeah, been, just like would you take that opportunity again? Yeah, I would. I'd definitely have to go. But I remember I was just reading an article, a good article. Um, I hadn't heard or seen or and um, Kingy, um, Damien King from you know World Champions, World World Champions, Australian bodyboarding. Kingy's a real estate agent now, and I seen him do a little. Um, I just happened to see it on Facey or something because I don't follow too much anymore what's going on. But, yeah, he was telling the story about how he was setting up a, a Tahiti trip. To, to He used to go over there a fair bit, and he knew he had to train a bit, you know, because he hadn't surfed big waves and big big chopper for eight years. And so yeah. he decided to train. He didn't know if he was going to get it big or not. He was just going for, a, a, you know, a bit of a reminisce I suppose I don't know what the trip was all about but yeah he was saying in his in his uh, video that he was just so stoked that he actually did train because he, he scored big chopes again and I uh, seen the video of one of them and he, he got flogged and he got to relive it he got to relive it he got flogged but he said he was stoked that he did train because he, if he didn't 
it would have just fucking yeah. ripped him apart. So, so now, I, now, if I went over there now, it was big. I'd be shitting yeah. totally. Is that your wife? It is. Um, she's calling. And, um, All right, let's, let's, let's wrap this up then because that, that's where I was about to get to now that you're a family man, you've, your wife and what, you've got two kids? Yeah, mate. I've uh, been with um, my beautiful wife for what... Uh, shit, we had a 12-year anniversary, wedding anniversary just the other day. And I uh, got two kids, Taj and Leah. Taj is now nine. And Leah's just about to turn eight. And does, does Taj and Leah, do they know where you've come from? That Do they know what their dad wants, what, or what their dad, um, this life that he had before? Yeah, they know bits and pieces. They don't understand it too much. I've told them lots of stories, and uh, they, I remember just the other day, Taj was like, Dad, I wish you were just still sponsored and get paid to surfing, go surfing so you could just stay home and we could just go on the trips with you. It, you know, you get, you do feel bummed, but kind yeah. of like wish you could still have it. Yeah, and and still um, experiencing because we did. I, I, there was a lot. Even having the boat, I wish I had the boat when I, I have the kids now because I didn't have. I had a lot of great stories of where I'd been and where what we've done, um, and I wish they were part of that. Yeah, to be able I, to I, show I, them that I lifestyle. Yeah. Even back in the day on tour, I always thought of what it would be like to bring your your kids on tour. That's one thing that I suppose gets me down a bit of not being around the sport anymore and not being able to still be in the sport in that in that side of um having the the culture we had and all the friends and um yeah. what we had on tour to take the kids and be part of it um but yeah that's you know you move on you you, you get a mortgage and you bloody you got to pay the bills and you know that's where i met you i've been rigging now for eight nine years and and yeah. you get a job and you st- you know things change yeah um, we we you, work you, together and we've had some amazing story time and and you've inspired You've inspired me. Oh, you inspire me. I, I, I love telling the stories. I love reliving yeah. it. And I wish... I, I mean, I said something the other day. If, if you know, I had a money injection, you win the lotto or something, would you do it again, like in the boat, or would you go to Tahiti and do that again? And I would do it in a flash. Yeah. I know how to do it now. Um, if someone was to turn around and say, Ben, you know, we've got to pay for you, go on tour again. Um, you know, this is what's going on. Bloody, would you do it? I'm like, oh be there in a flash you do you know, do what it. if they bring back the rear piper Ben Holland well it won't be a rear piper because they've gone under but there is talk I have been offered um, a uh, little while ago to, to reproduce I suppose the, the Ben Holland board um, it hasn't happened yet it may happen I know there's a few older guys a wingnut he's brought he's brought out just recently um, there's a couple of others. I mean, Ben Silverson just started. He's 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 always had his board, but he's 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 launching, you know, the the new Ben again. But yeah. look, if someone's there ready to help me um, produce it, I've you know you, you just find yourself working every day and things. Just, if you're not yeah, you don't financially have time. yeah, and you don't if you have the time to put it in, and, and there's no excuse. I should probably should have do it, and I want to do it, um, but at the moment it's not happening. Um, but I, it has been a lot of thought in the last, uh, say, six months. And there's a few other people pushing me to do it. But, you know, we'll yeah. see. We'll I'd, see. I'd love to see you relive some of what you've done in the past. and Because it's the end of the day. Like It's like you've lived such an amazing life, dude. And, and all I can say is thank you for um, coming on this and, and sharing it. Because this is Diaries of the Wild Ones. And, <laughs> and I've been trying to get you on this for months. Because you're one of the wildest been- boys I know. Oh, look, you know, I'd love, I could sit here and chat for, you know, ages, as and it's yeah. just bringing back all a heap of old stories, and it's, it's good. But, um, 
No, I appreciate your yeah. time and, and I yep. hope your um, little Adventures of the Wild goes to the moon. <laughs> to the moon. Th- thanks, brother. Let's and, uh, I'm hoping to get in the water soon, too. It's been 12 weeks since I've had surf. Absolutely killing me. Well, you've done your shoulder. I've done the AC. I've done my knee. I'm getting old, mate. I'm getting old feeling. <laughs> I'm going another beer. Well, let's do it right there. All right, mate. Thanks, buddy. Check. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. I do it like a double.